Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Why Climate Podcast. As always, my name is Andrew Holloway, and I'm your host today. And this podcast has been brought to you by the New Brunswick Lung Association in partnership with the government of New Brunswick. And like always, we're going to jump right in with today's guest. So who are you and what do you do? Hi, so my name is Rebecca Schnitter, and I currently am a senior policy analyst at the Public Health Agency of Canada, working in their infectious disease and climate change program. And so I was an editor and a lead author of the National Climate Change and Health Assessment that Health Canada published this year. And, and that, that will be in the show notes when we publish this, so people will be able to find it as well relatively easy. So that kind of jumps right into what started you on your journey working with the Public Health Agency of Canada, and more specifically, climate change and its growing impact on our health. Yeah, so it really started in 2016. I was completing the Master of Climate Change program at the University of Waterloo, and I took a course on climate change and health, which was taught by Dr. Peter Berry, who also works in Health Canada's Climate Change and Innovation Bureau. And up to that point, you know, I had learned a lot about climate change and its various impacts, but had never really considered the health implications of climate change. So I really enjoyed the course and I ended up doing an internship with Dr. Barry at Health Canada. And that turned into a full-time job as a policy analyst in their Climate Change and Innovation Bureau. So I spent five years in that office. And then this year I took an assignment at the Public Health Agency of Canada just to get some experience working on the infectious disease file and, and to try something new in the climate change and health sphere. Yeah, it's one of those things like I'm slightly more removed, let's say, from grad school than you are. And uh, even compared to when I graduated in 2008, a bit of a chemical engineering background, health was never talked about climate change. It was just like water, air will get slightly worse, but it wasn't the connecting of the dots. And that's um, as time is drifting on, it's becoming more and more sort of the sort of point around climate change is, is that sort of this is going to affect our health, you know, all the way through. Yeah. And that comes into sort of you've been uh, one of many authors on for the Health Canada Health in. OK, I got to get this title right. Health in in Climate Change Report 2022. So what was the overall goal of this very well done and amazing report? Yeah, so thanks. The So the report, um, the full title, The Health of Canadians mm-hmm. in a Changing Climate, Advancing Our Knowledge for Action. Um, it's a long one. So I'll just, we just refer to it as the assessment. But um, it really provides an analysis of the latest science and research on climate change and health in Canada. And so its main kind of objectives are to answer a couple different questions. So first, what are the current and projected impacts of climate change on the health of Canadians and their health systems? Who's most at risk from these impacts? What is the status of health adaptation in Canada? And how can we adapt to reduce health risks and develop more resilient communities and health systems? And then what knowledge gaps and and research needs exist? So very easy thing to do. There's wave of the wand and it should all be fixed quite easily. It is an, it's an actually incredible read and I really actually enjoyed reading through most of it because some of it, uh, even my work lately on with Indigenous health centers in our sort of region in Atlantic Canada, they're, they're seeing sort of effects of climate change harder and faster than most sort of people living outside of those sort of demographics and groups. 
So your work specifically focused in on climate change and health inequity. What does that mean to you? And I guess in the larger context, what does that mean for the report itself too? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I had the privilege of being a lead author of the climate change and health equity chapter in the assessment report. And it was an exciting chapter to be a part of because it was the first time that health equity had been included as its own chapter in um, any of Health Canada's climate change and health assessments. And I think that just really speaks to this increasing understanding that climate change is experienced differently across different communities and populations. Um, and so, you know, just a, a reminder to the listeners, when we talk about health inequity, that refers to differences in health that are avoidable and unjust and systematic. So these health inequities exist in Canada. And in many cases, they're the result of how societies distribute resources and power and opportunities. Um, they're often a result of, of lasting colonization and discrimination. And so, you know, we see these um, patterns across the country. And for example, Statistics Canada found that life expectancy was consistently lower among those living in lower income areas um, and uh, areas with greater material and social deprivation. And so then when we talk about health equity, that's the absence of these unfair systems and policies that cause these avoidable uh, differences in health. And so the chapter on health equity and climate change, it really establishes the different dimensions and the different ways that climate change interacts with health inequities. So it discusses what we know about how existing health inequities can influence climate change vulnerability. It can make some groups and populations at increased risk of these health impacts. Um, and it provides information on relationships between adaptation measures and health inequities and um, provides a number of case studies and, and tools and resources that public health folks and decision makers can use to make sure that their climate change responses really support health uh, equity and um, are, are supporting those who are most in need. Yeah, and it's critically important because we're not all going to feel the impacts of climate change at the same time at the same level. And I always think of it in the scape of like, we are a very big country and we while we have some similarities i'm on the east coast you're on the west coast there are things that tie us together there are also different issues in bc versus where i'm originally from in nova scotia and it, the same sort of logic applies to climate change it's not going to be you know bc could see more wildfires we could see more ticks and you know that kind of leveling and it will impact populations within those pockets differently so it is a very complex issue to say the least yeah, and so that kind of it is very complex. Yeah, so that kind of leads into what are some steps we as Canadians can try to do or take to reduce these inequities, and what do you feel um, provincial governments can do to do that as well? Yeah, definitely. So um, across the country, you know, local health units and, and health authorities and provincial and territorial governments they're already undertaking climate change and health actions. So a number of health authorities are conducting local vulnerability and adaptation assessments, for example. Um, there's uh, adaptation measures that are being implemented right now. Uh, and so, um, you know, as this work continues, it's really important to ensure that health equity is, is a focus in the work. Um, and so, of course, you know, the concept of health equity isn't necessarily new to public health. It's, it's a, a you know, foundational pillar of public health. 
but there's sometimes a bit of uncertainty in terms of the best way to center it into our climate change activities. Um, and the uh, chapter outlines a number of tools that can help integrate health equity into this work. Um, and so, for example, I'll just highlight a few, but um, asset and resiliency mapping tools. So these are commonly community-based exercises that can identify people and organizations and you know, spaces and other intangible factors that contribute to community resilience. So these are things that aren't typically captured in um, common sources of data. So this is really taking a strength-based approach instead of, um, you know, victimizing these communities. It's looking at these assets, it's looking at their strengths and really understanding what assets exist in a community. And then decision makers can use that information to inform where vulnerabilities still exist and what protective measures may need to be enhanced or expanded. And so, for example, you might do this exercise if you're developing a heat alert and response system. And so looking at where are community members already, you know, interacting with each other, where is the social cohesion, what organizations are maybe already, you know, uh, working in this area. Um, and so, uh, you know, just tools like that that can really help uh, to understand the existing conditions in a community. Um, and uh, that can help inform more effective uh, activities that are really getting at, at the root of um, uh, supporting health equity. Yeah, and uh, just kind of highlight something that was a couple episodes back. In New Brunswick, we have something called uh, the Community Health Needs Assessment, which is basically because we have Vitalitain Horizon, so the French and English sort of healthcare systems, and each one of those are then regionally broken down, we basically have sort of our... 16 zones within the province and each one of those has a community health-based needs assessment that sort of through the community sets the top three priorities around health and traditionally it's been like diabetes and sort of like heart disease blood pressure the sort of pillars when we think about things that are slowly gonna like you know impact our health but they are redone every four to six years across sort of the span and a lot of people are putting money down right now that access to clean drinkable water is going to be for the first time showing up in the last because they've been done since 2006 it's or some sort of version of water access or clean air is going to start creeping in it may not break the top three but it's mm -hmm. definitely going to top sort of get into the top five for sure so yeah and it's it's because you say it's become more people are becoming acutely aware even if they're not sort of connecting the dots straight across the line it is that sort of like Oh, yeah, like back in the day, there was more snow and we didn't worry about our wells drying out, which has, you know, those determinative of health impacts along the way. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I came from the wellness branch before, before working here. So that was our like bread and butter was just like, we don't have the money to do it, but the community can tell us how we can operationalize based on their strengths. So that kind of then leads into when we talk about healthcare in Canada. And I, I put this in, not that I'm saying COVID was amazing by any extent, but we've seen that COVID has placed uh, huge stress on our healthcare system. And even though we're sort of on the back end of COVID, and I'm air quoting this as I'm talking about this because I'm still waiting for winter to hit, um, how do you see climate change impacting the healthcare delivery across this country? Understanding that when we had something like COVID, it put a lot of stress and it was you know, everywhere all the time. What does that look like in the future for the healthcare delivery across this country with climate change? 
Yeah, so I think uh, one of the kind of important things to remember is that climate change is considered to be a threat multiplier. And so it can compound these existing health crises and challenges in addition to creating new ones. Um, and so that's why you'll see in the assessment that one of the key messages is really how important it is to increase the resilience of health systems and make sure that they're robust enough to withstand you know, acute events of climate change, so things like extreme weather events, but also some of the long-term effects uh, as well, and ensure that care and other important services aren't interrupted. And so, you know, we've already observed impacts on, on health systems. So recent floods, wildfires, extreme heat events, um, storms, they've all had impacts on health facilities and, and, and disrupted care to those in need. And as climate change continues and the climate continues to warm, these risks could increase unless action is, is taken now to, to increase resiliency. Um, one example uh, is uh, research in the Yukon found that during severe wildfire seasons where there was really like prolonged poor air quality from the wildfire smoke, their health resource utilization increased. So they, they studied things like emergency room visits, hospital admissions, clinic visits for cardiorespiratory events and asthma medication prescriptions. And so those increase, which of course is, is putting more pressure on the, on the health system. And so, you know, it, it just really supports this, this idea that um, there's always competing priorities in health, right? We like um, opioid crisis, the COVID pandemic. Um, and so climate change, can increase, you know, the the, the services and that um, or the demand of services, but then it can also make responding to these other health crises harder, uh, especially if our facilities uh, are disrupted or damaged by storms. You know, for example, the, the BC floods last year, a number of critical care patients and long-term care patients were evacuated because um, those facilities were were. Um, at, at risk of being flooded or were flooded. And so making sure that we're taking measures to really increase health system resilience uh, is, is a really important um, kind of uh, response to climate change. Yeah, 100%. And we are part of uh, the federal PM 2.5 sensor network program. So we help deliver the sensors uh, for everyone. Sorry, that I know I'm not supposed to use jargon. That's particulate matter. 2.5 micrograms big basically think of your tailpipe of your car sort of small pollution um and when you guys are having the wildfires we could actually watch it like as it drifted across canada and then sort of the anecdotal rates uh, even within new brunswick of you know kids being sent home with asthma attacks from educate like in, while we are a big country it's still like just because it's in bc it can have effects out on the East coast and vice versa, things that can happen out here can have effects on the West coast as well. And it can, you know, so it's protecting us all for the longevity. If, you know, so, so that kind of leads into, we've been down a little, I always say most of this podcast can get pretty dark pretty quickly because we're talking about the future of climate change, but what gives you hope for the future when we're talking about climate change and the impacts of climate change on the healthcare system? Like, do you see a silver lining down the road a little bit? Yeah, so, I mean, I think when you work in this space, like you said, it, it can get uh, uh, pretty dark pretty quickly. It's yeah. um, not all, like there aren't a lot of, you know, positive studies that, that we're reading, especially 
in the assessment, um, a lot of it is, you know, pretty significant health implications. Um, but I think there is a balance of optimism with that urgency of, of action. And I think for me, one of the things that has made me optimistic is, you know, for a long time, uh, climate change was viewed as a future problem, you know, maybe some environmental impacts, but, um, you know, maybe wouldn't affect Canada as much as, as other places in uh, the world. But I think as understanding of the health impacts from climate change increases, I think that really helps to put the human dimension of climate change kind of front and center. And I think that can help spur support uh, for climate action. Um, health Canada has conducted public opinion research on this and, and most recently uh, in 2022. Um, and they found that Canadians are increasingly convinced about climate change occurring. So 85% say climate change is definitely happening. And that's an increase from 79% in 2017. Um, and of the Canadians who believe in climate change, the awareness of health impacts of climate change has also improved. So 75% of climate change believers are able to identify at least one health-related impact, and that's up from 69% in 2017. And so I think that's a good sign, you know, we're trending in the right direction for sure. Um, awareness is, you know, often the first step to, to taking action, right? Yeah, um, my, I always say my hope is with the youth. Like I, I call myself a silverback millennial because I'm at the older end of what it means to be a millennial. Uh, but you see it with the kids were even when I was in high school, climate change was never talked about. And that was the late 90s, early 2000s. But for the kids and the interns that I've at least been talking to, they, they are more acutely aware of it. And I think when they sort of become a large voting block as well, they're going to use their voice. Again, no saying where they're going to vote, but they are going to use their voice up and climate will be front and center. Whereas, you know, for my parents' generation who are in their 70s, it was more healthcare, just put more dollars into it or, you know, protect CPP because we're all retiring at the same time. And I think it's a different sort of shift on where their priorities lie for the future too. Absolutely. So. Yeah. I was going to say, I've also been inspired by the youth movements in Canada and globally. And yeah. yeah, it's great to see like in the near future, those will be, you know, our decision makers and and our leaders shaping the, the future. So I'm optimistic that yeah, climate action will be a big part of that. Yeah. So our last like big serious question is what is the one question you wish I asked during this interview and I didn't? And how would you respond? I always set myself up to look like I don't know what I'm doing with this question, but like it's <laughs> it's a fun one because, you know, I just read documents and be like, this makes sense to me. So <laughs> yeah, no, no, this is a great question. So um, I think the question would be like, what about folks that are working on climate change mitigation and adaptation? outside of the health sector. So like, what is their role in understanding and responding to health impacts of climate change? And I think, um, although the, the National Climate Change and Health Assessment is a big technical document, I'd highlight that um, this is relevant information for everyone uh, because in many cases, adaptation and mitigation measures that are implemented outside of the health sector have really important implications on health and on health equity. So things like the housing sector, transportation, energy, agriculture, 
Um, and so the assessment really highlighted the need for multi-sectoral collaboration when it comes to climate change action. And there's a huge opportunity for collaboration between public health and other sectors so that they can share information on, you know, who's most at risk in their communities, what health inequities are already existing, where adaptation measures should be prioritized. Um, and so, yeah, collaboration there is, is really important. And I'll just also um, uh, note that we recognize that a tech, like an 800 page technical document is not reading material <laughs> for everyone. I enjoyed so, most of it. I'm not going to lie. Like <laughs> I had a good time reading it, but again, I was being paid to sit there and read through it all and be like, yeah, well, you know, it was my background. So, so we did put a lot of time and effort into developing complementary uh, knowledge products. And so, you know, short two page fact sheets and we tailored them to different audiences. And so you can also find that on the change climate.ca website. If you go to the health report in the newsroom tab, um, you'll see that there's fact sheets for um, folks, decision makers outside of the health sector. We have ones for decision makers in the health sector, you know, the general public, health practitioners. And so, um, yeah, just recognizing that we all do have influence on health in our communities. And even if it's a Seems like it's out of the scope or mandate of the sector that we work in. Um, I'd encourage you to take a look at, at those documents because um, there really is an opportunity here to, to design our, our climate change responses to support health and health equity. And I'll put those links in the show notes too, so they're all there. Perfect. But you are 100% true. Like I was at a little sort of health fair thing yesterday and I was talking to an elder and she said, like she understands that like a lot of climate change won't impact her life directly. And they have the sort of seven generations before and seven generations back way of thinking, you know, anyways. But what she was pointing out is she sort of sells it around why when she's talking to like council leaders and people within her community who are just like, you know, Canada, we kind of for a long time got away with not having to think about climate change because we have so much green space. Like my family's from the UK. They don't have the luxury of space where, you know, we, as you said, we are starting to see climate change. Other parts of the world have been dealing with the impacts of climate change far harder and longer. Pakistan's floods, for example. And she said, like, she sells it as something very simple to encapsulate a very complex problem, which is like, if we can't grow our food, if my community can't feed themselves, there will be so many far reaching impacts, health, families, everything will be impacted. So if you, as she says, just for her, she sells it and why it's important under the like, we need to make sure our children, our grandchildren, our great grandchildren, our great great grandchildren have food out on the table. Because you remove that element, your health goes, you know, your ability to go to school, everything else in your life is going to fall apart really quickly. So she, as she says, I just sell a very big idea down to a very small thing that her community can understand really quickly. And that's what I was going to credit the report with. They took a lot of very complex stuff and gave it away that like anyone listening to this can really sort of take something from it and sort of use and sort of digest it into their own life. So, and it is, as we've been saying the whole time, a very big, complex, lots of gears moving. So as we always end these podcasts, uh, and again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, so we've gotten a lot of weird crazy answers to this. Some people are just like, I want to sit in my backyard with it, like a gin and tea. And you're like, great. That's if that's where you want to be. Awesome. I always say it was Bali. I'm a surfer. So that's just where my head goes. If you could live anywhere in the world and we didn't have to air quote work, where would you want to go or be? 
Um, I think I'm already exactly where I want to be. So just such a BC answer. (laughs) I know, right? West Coast answer. So yeah, Yeah. I'm in Victoria, BC. Despite the fog and the rain this morning, I love the island. I grew up here. I love uh, the West Coast. So this is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't live anywhere else. I always say like, does sound great. <laughs> I, I like, I grew up in the back ends of Halifax. Like I was a surfing brat out on the ocean and it's the one hard thing being in New Brunswick because I miss the ocean every mm-hmm. day. And my yes. wife, who's from a landlocked part of the country always says it's something about people who grew up on the ocean. We're just wired slightly differently because we're just like, no, no, no. The ocean will solve all of our problems. <laughs> yep. No, a hundred percent. So I can't thank you enough for your time, Rebecca. I know everyone is busy, but I appreciate everyone lending their time for this kind of venture. And uh, all the information to talk about will be in the show notes and I'll make sure to send it out. And again, thank you so much. Thank you.